if you don't know me, I'm Matt. I'm the pastor here at Liberty Church. Uh, we're so glad that you've found us uh, online today. Uh, maybe this is your first time tuning in. Maybe you've never set foot into this building at all. Well, then you're really welcome uh, to join us online today. We hope at some point soon we ought to get to meet you again uh, in the flesh or perhaps even for the first time. But welcome. Great to have you with us. Uh, we've been working through a series uh, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, and we've been jumping through it a little bit, but uh, using uh, different meals that we see take place in the Gospel of Luke to help us tell the story of the book and to help us to learn a little bit about Jesus, how he interacted with people, how he loved people, uh, how he lived out and communicated uh, the faith that we can have uh, in him. Uh, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, um, and I'm going to read from verse uh, 11 through to the end of the chapter. So if you have a Bible, if you want to find Luke uh, 15. Uh, if you don't have one, I'm sure you can Google uh, or there's lots of apps you can download on your phone that will help you as well. Let me read this to you. This is from Luke chapter 15 from verse 11. And he said, this is Jesus saying, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the, the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and felt compassion, and ran, and embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead." And he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came near and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. 
Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Jesus, we want to pray this morning and thank you for this wonderful story that you told a few thousand years ago. But this little parable you tell, this story is just as much alive for us today as it was then. There's just as much power in this story to penetrate right into our hearts and to show us so clearly your gracious, compassionate love, even for the lost. We thank you that we get to boldly proclaim that this morning for those of us who are believers in you, that we were lost and now we've been found, that we were far away and we've been drawn near. And there's something wonderful to rejoice and celebrate in this morning. So we pray that you would put that joy and celebration in our hearts. Help us to learn from you from this passage today. Amen. You might have seen, uh, if you had looked at the beginning of this passage, that how this story begins is once again, as we've been looking at through this book, we find many times where Jesus is around a meal table or another circumstance where the Pharisees, who were some of the religious leaders uh, in Israel at that time, they come to him and they grumble. It says in verse 3 that they say, this man receives sinners and he eats with them, which again is a common accusation that comes at Jesus again and again. How dare you eat with those sinful people? And Jesus, what he's trying to do through this chapter in the book of Luke is he's trying to answer that accusation. He's trying to show these Pharisees that their dead religiosity is not true faith. That true faith is to know our Father in heaven. That true faith is to know his grace and the joy that we can have because of that. And what Jesus does is, I didn't get time to read it all, but he actually tells one parable which encompasses three stories First of all, the story of the lost sheep, then of the lost coin, and then we get to the one that I've just read, the, uh, the parable, which is often called the parable of the prodigal son, but it's actually just the third part of this bigger parable, the parable of the lost, the lost, the lost son. And in each of these three stories, you get different phrases that are repeated again and again. In each story, something is lost and something is found. The sheep is lost and it's found. The coin is lost and it's found. The son is lost and he's found. And each time this, this, the coin, the sheep, the son are found, there's celebration. There's rejoicing that takes place. When, when they find the lost sheep, Jesus says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. 
when they find the lost coin, Jesus says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus is, is he's ramming home a message to his li listeners in this story. He's saying, every time a sinner comes, and you, you Pharisees, you want to look on in your righteous judgment, but every time a sinner comes before his father and repents, there's joy. This is a story of the wonderful, compelling, powerful grace of God, and that's what we're going to look at today. His listeners, these Pharisees, they knew about the justice of God, They'd read the Torah, they'd read all the religious writings. They knew about the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, or at least they thought they knew, but they didn't know his grace. That's what this story is about, communicating the grace of God. We'll go through each of the characters in this story and uh, see if we can learn a few lessons from them. So first of all, we get to this, the lost son, the younger brother, the famous prodigal in this story, perhaps the most famous of all the stories that Jesus tells. And we find him uh, taking his, or demanding from his father his inheritance and then going and blowing it all. And we get a little bit of a picture here of what sin is. And I guess our common conception of sin is just, it's just bad things. You know, sin is just sort of a religious word that we put on things to make people feel guilty. It's just doing naughty stuff, doing bad things. But what we learn from this story is it's actually something, it's something deeper than that. It says here in verse 13 that he took a journey into a far country. And sin is separation. Perhaps that's the best way to describe sin it's us deciding that we want to take a journey to a far country that we want to move away from God away from our relationship with him away from his purpose for our lives and we want to take our own trajectory we want to figure out our own purpose in life we want to be able to live out our own story tell live out our own dreams and yet in doing that, we can easily forget God. In many ways, that's what sin is. It's just forgetfulness of God. Deciding we don't need him for the story we want to tell of our lives. We don't need any of his authorship over our lives. We want to just write our own story instead. So we separate ourselves away from God. The next, we see this act of, of squandering he says he took a journey into the far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. See, sin, it takes the good gifts that God's given us and it wastes them away on worthless things. There's so much that God has given us in this life which is, which is good, it's healthy. So much that God provides for us for our blessing. And sin is when we take those good gifts that God's given us and we take them for ourselves and we decide we're going to spend them away on wasteful things. A good example is sex, a gift from God. He's given us to be enjoyed 
in the relationship of marriage between a man and a woman. And yet we see it all around us in society where people take that and think, well, God said I should use it like this, but nah, I'm going I'm to take it my own way. I'm going to use it to, to fulfill my desires. I'm, I'm going to use it as I see fit because I'm in control. And in the end, we, we squander the gift that God's given us. And ultimately, it brings us no joy. It's in this separation, it's squander. More than anything, it's a spiritual bankruptcy. We hear in this story that it says he spent everything. Because sin will promise you wealth, but will deliver you poverty. That's what it does. It gives you a glint, a, a faint promise of if you do this, your desires will be fulfilled. But then when you find yourself there and you live in that place, ultimately you find yourself stepping into poverty, not wealth. Into loss, not gain. And sin will ultimately leave us as it left this younger brother where he spent everything and you find yourself in famine. This happened to him. From his story, we also we learn about repentance. Repentance is a word that the Bible uses to express a coming back to God. And there are three things here we can learn about it. First of all, repentance is it's remembering. Perhaps it's remembering, I guess ultimately remembering who you really are. It says in verse uh, verse 17, it says, he came to himself, which is an unusual expression. He came to himself. What does that mean here? The early church father, Ambrose, said about the prodigal son that he rightly returns to himself because he had departed from himself. That's what repentance is. It's remembering who you are. Because sin will tell us you need to pursue this journey to discover who you are. This journey of self-discovery, self-knowledge. If you step into these things, you'll find a liberation in discovering yourself. It's actually what the Bible says is we discover who we truly are by discovering our identity in, in God, in Christ. Discovering who he's made us to be. Discovering that we're made and loved in the image of God. That he's created us for a purpose and a plan. And when we, when we return to that place of knowing God as our Father, when we return truly to what he's made us to be, that's that we, we come to ourselves. We, we wake up to the reality of who we really are. We remember. Secondly, repentance is remembering and then it's recognizing. It says in verse 18, that I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. This younger brother, he, he recognizes what he's done. That's part of the journey of repentance is just recognizing the mess you've made of things. And he doesn't, what he doesn't want to do is, because it says in the story earlier on that he'd spent everything and a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. I think if I was the younger son in this story, 
If I was the one who had to return to my father, I'd be thinking, I've got an excuse. I've got a get-out clause. I've got my get-out-of-jail-free card. I can go and say, look, I made all these mistakes, but really, it was the famine. It was the famine that, that robbed me of all these things. We can blame it on something outside of ourselves. You know, I did a few bad things, but really, it, was, it wasn't my fault. It was this problem. So often, that's how I, I come to God. Is that I, I want to receive his grace, but I come with, with all sorts of ready-made excuses. You know, what, I'm, I'm a victim in this story, don't you see? All these bad things happened to me. It wasn't my fault. And we live in a culture that teaches us to do that all the time. So the only way we can, we can find any liberation in life is recognize our victimhood. And only by doing that can we step out into freedom. Now, there are many people around us who are genuine victims. We must hear their stories and help them to find true liberty and freedom. And maybe you're watching this and there's things in your life that have happened to you where you've been the victim. That's horrific and sad. We want to pray that you would know God's grace and kindness to restore you. But when we've sinned, when, when you know that you've done things that you shouldn't have done, thought things, said things, don't try and cover them up. Don't make excuses. Recognize it. Bring it to Jesus. And the final step is he re remembers, he recognizes, and he returns. Very simply, that's what repentance is. It's returning to Jesus. It's an act of our whole being, our mind, our heart, our will. He literally gets up, he arises, and he returns. I want to encourage you today. Maybe as I'm speaking, you feel like the Holy Spirit pinpointing things in your life. Return to him. You can do that today. Now, if we move on to the story of the older brother, a bit later on in the story, we, we find in him a slightly different picture of, of sin. Whereas the younger, bris, leave, younger brother lives out, I guess, the more, in a sense, classic version of sin. Reckless living. He just blows, you know, he makes this massive mess of things. He's just broken, living in a pigsty with the pigs. Whereas older brother is, he's at home with his dad. He seems to have done pretty well in things. But yet he displays to us a different characteristic of sin. And that's self-righteousness. He wants, to, he wants to say to his father, indeed he does say to his father, but hold on a second, he, he did all those horrible things. How could you possibly let him back in? And look, look what I did, I did everything right. He didn't even give me a goat that I could celebrate with. And so often, there are, we find ourselves stuck or bouncing between these, these two, two different positions. This... Uh, I guess you could call them kind of license and legalism. As in, on one hand, we just we want to blow it all and just make a complete mess. Or on the other hand, we want to stand in judgment over others. We want to justify ourselves by living out this kind of legalistic interpretation of Christianity. And both ways are equally sinful. They are. And Christians, there's a, a warning to you this morning that we can very easily fall into this trap. We look down our noses on people around us. 
We look down our noses on those who we deem to be less mature than us, less holy than us, people who've made bad decisions, people who've stumbled, even other believers who we see them making a, a mess of their life. And we don't want to help them, we just want to judge them instead. Or even in our helping them, we're, we're, we're holding something back. We're, 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 we're on our high horse, we're proud of our superiority over them. And yet all of us, we're saved by grace alone, not by our dead works. Perhaps the question you might want to reflect on this morning is which, which brother are you most like? Are you most like the younger brother, constantly making a mess of things and needing help, needing rescue? Or are you like the older brother, justifying yourself by all the good things you've done? Feeling good about yourself, feeling like I've, I've been a good Christian this week. Look at how well I've performed. And the final character in this story I want us to look at is obviously the father. And he's really the central character in this story, although it gets called the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. Perhaps its best title would be the parable of the gracious father. He's the central character in this story. And from this story, we can learn a few things about grace. First of all, grace finds us. Grace finds us. It says in verse 20, the prodigal son arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And grace finds you sees you even when you're a long way off. I think when Jesus tells this story, he's, he's hinting at something here. It's not just that the father kind of gets out the front door and sees his son coming down the road. It's that somehow the father sees him even before that. It talks about in the book of Exodus, the end of Exodus chapter 2, when the Israelites are just, they're so... They're lost in their, and broken in their slavery. The Egyptians are oppressing them. There's no way out. And they call out to God. And it says, God heard. God saw. God knew. And that's just the wonderful thing about grace. The grace of God, it, it steps into our darkest places. It doesn't wait until we've returned. It sees us while we're a long way off. I was taking a run around the Aldekirka Plus near my house yesterday morning. And I was, there was one point I was running along the side of this lake, right quite on a, on a high piece of land. And the wind, I was running straight into the wind, and it was really fierce. And it, it, was, it wasn't a lot of fun. <laughs> it was at first, because you felt like you were sort of fighting, and there was some athletic victory to be had. But then I realized I'm not very much of an athlete, and I felt very tired and exhausted pretty soon. And it was hard work. And that you could see the sort of storm clouds coming over. And it just felt vicious and oppressive. And then out the corner of my eye, I saw this tiny little glimmer of sunlight. This sunbeam just break through the clouds. I stopped and tried to take a picture, but it didn't come up very well on my, on my phone. But that's how the grace of God finds us. That in the, the midst of the storm, when you feel like you're just being buffeted by the wind... 
when you're just at your lowest ebb, your lowest point, this beam of this sunlight, this gracious bolt of light just shines into your darkness. Grace, grace finds us. And as it finds us, it's wonderfully compassionate. In many ways, I don't really need to preach or say much more about this passage because I could just read this verse over and over again. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I don't think there's many more profound pictures in the whole of humanity, the whole of this book, to show us the wonder of the Father's love towards you. Before the Son has said anything, before he's uttered a single word, his Father sees him, runs towards him, embraces him, and kisses him. See, the, the love of God, it's, it's not a technical thing. It, it's not a system that we learn. It's not a kind of a way of life that we, we study like a textbook. When we discover the love of God, it's, there's, there's emotion involved. There's feeling. There's just the, the loving, felt, warm embrace of the Father to you. His, his compassionate love his, his arms are open for you today. Next, his, his grace finds us. It's compassionate. Perhaps most wonderfully, it, it, it interrupts him. Have you noticed that? If you read, if you compare his kind of confession, his prepared statement that he wants to make, and then if you compare to what actually he says to his father, he only gets halfway through. He doesn't get to finish what he's prepared to say. I'm sure you know those moments where you, know you need to go and tell somebody something. So you prepare in your head your, your statement. This is what I'm going to say. Sometimes we do that with God. We prepare our confession. We, oh, I've, just got to, I've just got to get this off my chest. And that's what the son does. But his father interrupts him. His father won't let him finish. He said, the son says, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Before he can finish, the father interrupts. See, God's, his good news is always bigger than your bad news. His grace is always more lavish it always is fuller and mightier and more powerful than even the worst news you could share. His grace is bigger. And it's appropriate that we repent, that we confess our sins. That's a thing the Bible encourages us to do. But you don't, you don't need to come with a sense of, of contrition. I, I come to God like that. I'm, I repent, but then I want to I I show. I really want to spell out how sorry I am, and hoping that in some way, by doing that, that will win his favor, maybe somehow a little. We don't need to do that. You just come and bear your heart before him, and before you've even finished, his embrace has grabbed you up. And 
The other, perhaps, wonder of this is that, you know, God takes his time with us. Becoming a Christian isn't like you suddenly just have to get everything fixed there and then. God's grace works to us mightily, but little by little, that through your life, God will slowly expose things, behaviors, ways of thinking, sometimes even little things that you've lived with for years and just never realized it. And God will quietly, gently pinpoint them to you. He's gracious to take his time with us. He interrupts. Next, his grace restores. The sons, what happens here is the best robe is brought out. He puts the ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. What the father is doing is he's restoring honor to his son. That's what would have, these, these are symbolic things that in the culture at the time represented the fact that the father was saying, my son's back. I, I, want, I want you to, he's saying to all his servants, his whole house side, I want you to see I'm, I'm restoring his honor, his, his dignity. I'm, I'm, he's, he's my son. He's welcomed back into the family And when we come to God, he restores us back. Again and again, you'll read through the Bible and see many people, David, Peter, Paul, the prodigal son here, people have made a mess of their lives, make foolish mistakes, and yet his grace restores us. His grace celebrates with us. The writer Henry Nguyen said that celebration belongs to God's kingdom. In each of these stories, the sheep, the coin, the sun, something, something that's lost is found and there's celebration. Maybe later on today or this week, you could put yourself in each of those stories. Read the story and see yourself as the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And just feel the celebration of heaven at your return. That's Maybe you're watching this and you're not a believer in Jesus. Well, there's, there's a meal laid for you. There's a banquet ready. And when you turn and put your faith in Jesus Christ, there's a, a heavenly celebration that takes place, which is just a hint, a glimmer of the one-day celebration we'll all get to enjoy with our Father in heaven. His grace celebrates with us and it resurrects. The Father says, my son was dead and is alive again. Now we know from this story that he wasn't dead. He was just in a pigsty. But Jesus is trying to make a point through this story that to be lost in our sin is we're effectively dead. But there's a wonderful spiritual reality of salvation that when we come to know Jesus, we're made alive in Christ that we, we've come, turned from the kingdom of death into the kingdom of life and light, darkness to light, death to life. These are the pictures the Bible uses again and again. We celebrate becoming a Christian by getting baptized, which again is this vivid demonstration of going down into the, the waters of death and being lifted up into salvation, alive in Christ. His grace resurrects us. Also, his grace atones us. It makes atonement. Lots of people read this story, and often it's, people will use this as an argument that Christians have got this whole Christianity thing a bit wrong. Now, we just need to be loving and forgiving 
We need to be compassionate, but we don't need any, none of this gruesome sacrifice business. We just need to be forgiving. We, we don't, repentance isn't necessary. Sacrifice isn't necessary. We don't need any atonement. But the reality we have to remind ourselves of is that like the youngest son in the pigsty, sin stinks. It's abhorrent. It's disgusting. It needs repentance. It needs a sacrifice to take place, which is what Jesus has done for us. And actually in this story, if you, if you were to read this 2,000 years ago, if you read this through Middle Eastern eyes, you get a bit of a picture of sacrifice here. Because when the father, who would have been probably a well-known figure in his village, to, to run down the road, hug and embrace his son, who everybody would have known what had happened, He'd lost his, his honor. He'd thrown himself into shame and indignity. So his, for his father to respond like this to him, is this, is this is the crack in the story. Often when Jesus uses parables as a storytelling device, one way he, he, he communicates the life-changing power of the gospel, one way he communicates that these stories have a different meaning to them, is he puts little cracks in them, little moments that aren't quite... If you were reading this at the time, it wouldn't quite be true. So the Middle Eastern people reading this would have said, hold on a second. Yeah, the, the son makes a mess of his life, realizes he needs to go back to his father, but his father runs to embrace him. That doesn't ring true. That, a father wouldn't do that. That's the crack in the story, but this father does. And he becomes undignified. It's a sacrificial act. He's sacrificing his own honor because he wants to embrace his son and restore honor to him. And the same way Jesus has done that for us. Jesus took our shame upon himself to restore his honor to us. His grace is, is hopeful. See, this story ends on a, on a cliffhanger that we don't know what happened to the older brother. We can read the story, and the younger son's story has a, has a wonderful happy ending. But we feel like there should be a season two to this, to this story, but there isn't. It just finishes. There's nothing else that happens. We don't know what happened to the older brother. Because Jesus is saying to his audience, the Pharisees, you guys are the older brother. You're the ones looking down on people with your self-righteousness. But there's hope. See, it doesn't matter how far you've fallen, whether the sin that you're lost in is this reckless living, whether you've squandered, whether you've become spiritually bankrupt, whether you've, you just feel at the lowest ebb, or whether you're standing in self-righteousness judging those around you, there's always hope in the gospel. Reconciliation is always a possibility. And Jesus wants to extend his hope to you today the possibility of return of restoration in him finally we have to remember as well that his grace is accomplished I was reading this week of a, a preacher from a few hundred years ago Samuel Chadwick who he finished his, his message on this story by saying that there's a third son in this story there's the, the younger brother there's the older brother, and there's another 
There's another son, another brother. There's one who kept his father's law perfectly, as the younger brother failed to do. But he also understood and worked out the compassion of his father's heart, as the older brother failed to do. See, Jesus, he gave himself for us, for me, for you, so that we could repent and receive the loving embrace of our Father in heaven. That each of us were lost, but have been found by him and his grace. And welcome back into his loving embrace today. Let me pray for us, and then the band are going to lead us in some songs of worship. Jesus, we just want to take this moment before you now. And maybe if you're watching this at home, you might want to just take this moment just to to confess, to come to Jesus, to come to your Father in heaven, and just say, I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe just recognize right now those things that you've done, which you know are sinful. Whether you, it's a, acts of self-righteousness or acts of just reckless living, where we've decided to go our own way, we've separated ourselves from God. Just take a moment now just to bring them to God. And let me just bring a gracious interruption from that. Let me read these verses from Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Jesus, we just bring ourselves to you today. We just receive your grace afresh. Maybe you're watching this and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You can come to him today, you can repent and receive his gracious, compassionate embrace. Maybe you've been a Christian for decades. You can come to him again today and receive the warm embrace of a father who loves you. Perhaps the best way to respond is for us just to come and sing and praise him together. Amen.